0: I wanna welcome you today to the continuation of a series we are in, this collection of sermons called Built For It, where we are pushing you, come on, you know if you've been here the last couple of installments of this, if you've listened to the podcast or watched with us at church online, we are pushing you into what God has built you for. This is a series really all about activation. It's not about you taking notes near as much as it is you applying those notes. It's not about you gaining some content, gaining some understanding nearly as much as it is taking that and then letting it be the catalyst that pushes you into your next step. Into the thing that maybe you've avoided for a long time into uh, valuing or acquiring or building in firmly in your life what God has built you for. What you have always needed, but maybe haven't prioritized like you need it. And as a way of review, for those of you that may be joining us for the first time today, for those of you that may this be your first installment in the series, we said in part one of this series that you and I, as people of faith, we are built for worship. Like the reason we have breath in our lungs, the reason we are here is to worship and bring honor and bring praise to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. You and I are built for worship, not only in these gathered moments, whether at church online or gathered in person, but yes, in those moments. But also as we scatter and go live our lives in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in the places where we work and around our friends that don't know God and around our friends that do know God. We are built for worship. And then in part two, come on, in the last installment of this series, what we shared is this, is that you and I are built for serving. That literally you and I find our fulfillment, use our gifts and talents, and also receive protection as we serve and when we serve. That God has gifted you. He has called you, he is giving you talent, he's giving you ability, he's giving you influence, and you and I are to use that to serve him first and foremost. And uh, it's been a good series so far. It's been incredible to see people value worship and step into this thing that they were built for. I'm so thankful and so proud of the many people who out of our last installment who said I want to serve on a team and they signed up whether at church online or signed up even in person and if uh, you're saying you know what I need to start serving and you haven't jumped in you haven't signed up for a team you can do that today come on head to our website even now believing.church Sign up to serve online, sign up to serve in person, sign up to serve with the Sunday's team, sign up to serve with Outreach or one of the ministries going on all throughout the week. There are places, ways and opportunities for you to serve because you were somebody in that chat say, I'm built for it. Come on, I'm built for it. But today I want to take a step further into this third installment, this third focus that I need you to know and my prayer is that you would recognize in a deep, significant and serious way on today, how badly you need this, even though on the surface, some of you are gonna push it to the side right off the rim. But you and I were built for community. That's right. You and I, doesn't matter where you are, do not matter how old, how young, you and I are built for community. And for a few moments today, what I want to do is I want to help raise the need for this in your life. And then I want to challenge you to take the right next step to get the community around you you need before you need it. You see, every person wants to be known it needs to be known. Every one of us, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're, you're joining us at church online, you're hanging out anonymously and you don't ever say nothing to nobody, but you there in the chat or, or, or you, you shout out loud and you talkative in the chat and you say amen to your boy. I appreciate that. I feel you. But like, like we all need community and we all want community too. Now, I need you to understand, this isn't just an extroverted thing. Some of you are thinking, well, yeah, 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 People who are more extroverted, people who get their energy, if you will, from being around other people, they need community. No. Everyone needs community. You, you may see yourself as a very introverted person. Can I tell you, even if you see yourself as an introverted person, you need community. Your definition of community may look very different than the extroverted person, but you still need community. You may not need community with 100 people, but you need that one or two people to be able to reply to your text when you text them. You need community. You you want for that one person, those two people, come on, those handful of folks to know you, know you well, be there for you, love you, be in your life. We all need community. The manifestation and look of that might look a little different based on your personality, but baby, please do not allow your personality to divorce you from the need that you have created by God for community. Because you know that God created you with a need for community, right? The book of Genesis chapter two, God makes a statement, looking at the man that He's created, and He makes this statement. As some of you've been to weddings before, and this this statement is often used in weddings. It's a it's one of those verses that preacher folk like me often will refer back to or lean into, and uh, in a wedding ceremony, and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing, and it's a true thing, and it has a marriage component to what is being said here. But it's more than marriage. What God says here. There's actually a relational reality woven into this simple statement that God makes. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, here's what God says. He said, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. Now, as a way of context, may I help you to understand the life that the man, Adam, as we know him, had in this moment? Because Genesis chapter 1 gives us the creation account where God created all things through the power of his word. He spoke it and things came to be. In the beginning, God created. And as the poem outlined for us in Genesis chapter 1 articulates over the course of, of six installments, God created all things through his word. Through his word, he spoke and flung the sun into its place, put the moon and the stars into their place. Through his word, he separated the water from the dry ground. Through his word, he allowed vegetation to fill the land. Through his word, animals were created. Through his word, he filled the sea. Through his word, he filled the air. And through his word, he created man in his image. Adam was given responsibility in the garden. He was set out by God to say, I need you to, I need you to name all these animals. And so he did. Adam had proximity and communion with God, unlike you or I will ever know on this side of eternity. The way the scripture tells us is that, is that Adam would actually go for walks with God in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? Like, here is this man that God said was good, created in His image, and every day once Adam was done with his naming of animals for the day, he had maybe, maybe uh, already prepared his, uh, his his dinner, and he was nice and full. Uh, it, it, there was a knock on his door, and God said, "What you doing, Adam? You, you want to go for our walk today?" And Adam would go for a walk with God. He had connection and proximity to God like no one ever has. Adam lived in the garden that we know as Eden before sin entered the world. Everything was perfect. Everything God had created, God, by his own determination and own standard, had said it was good. Where he set the sun, was good. The birds he filled the air with, the fish he filled the sea with, it's good. The animals he set out across the land, the vegetation, it is good. The man he created, it is good. But for the first time in All of his speaking for the first time in all of his recorded articulations, we hear God indicate that something that is going on is not good. And it's Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Here is Adam, all this responsibility. Here is Adam, all this purpose. Here is Adam, no sin. Here is Adam, walks with God in the cool of the day. Here is Adam. And there's something not good about him. The thing that isn't good is that he's alone. He's alone. And when God gives his evaluation of the situation, he says this ain't good. There's a pastor and a writer by the name of John Ortberg, who many years ago articulated this statement in a book that um, stopped me in my tracks. and has been a statement I go back to over and over and over again to bring to light the significance and the severity of this for many of us. John Ortberg said it this way. He said, there is a God-sized hole, a God-shaped hole inside of every single person. He said, but there is also a people-shaped and people-sized hole as well. What does he mean by this? Well, what John Ortberg is saying is he's leaning into the reality of, uh, of Scripture, the most basic theological reality that all people of faith Hold to, that there is a God-shaped and God-sized hole on the inside of you. Come on, if you're a person of faith, you believe this, you attest to this, that there is a space on the inside of every human being that, that, that God created to need him. And and nothing you can try to fill that hole with will fill it or or make you feel that it is filled. You may try to medicate it. You may try to drown it. You may try to forget about it. But there is a hole, there is a longing on the inside of you put there by God. It's the way Paul communicated in Romans 1. There is this innate desire, this longing woven within the fiber of every human being for God. And nothing else can fill it. That hole inside of you that only God can fill cannot be filled with how successful you are. It cannot be filled with how much money you make. It cannot be filled with how popular or how well-known or how influential you are. That is the reason that uh, celebrities and superstars every day uh articulate about the struggles they have with their mental health. Much of their struggle with their mental health is the fact that they are trying to fill a hole on the inside of them with something but God. It's the reason you you can't fill it with money because we see billionaires every single day take their life. Why? Not because they didn't have enough money. They had more money than they knew what to do with in this life. But there's a hole on the inside of them, and you can't fill it with money. And you can't fill it with prestige and you can't fill it with a drink and you can't fill it with sex and you can't fill it with loyalty. You can only fill it with God. Now, every person of faith right now has stood up in a living room and say, you better preach this thing, white boy. Like, like, you feel it. The problem with what John Ortberg says for many people of faith is not the first half of what he says is the second. Because the implication on the front end is something that every person of faith believes. And that is why we put our faith in Jesus. Because we find that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That there was a longing on the inside of us, but but that longing went away when we met Jesus. There was a lack of purpose on the inside of it, but that longing went away when we met Jesus. Because there is a God-shaped hole on the inside of you. But there's a people-shaped hole inside of you as well. There is a hole on the inside of you that is relational. And it cannot be filled with how much money you make. Because there are incredibly lonely, wealthy people who start to wonder if everybody that knows their name, everybody that calls them, everybody that knocks on their door, everybody that comes by their establishment, if they're only there for their resources. It can't be filled by uh, how much money you make. It cannot be filled by how successful you are cannot be filled with all the things you can buy, all the things that you can flex on people with. Like, you can't fill this hole with all that stuff. And you also cannot fill it with God. That's the part that people of faith have trouble with. There there, there is a hole on the inside of you There's a hole on the inside of me that is relational in nature, and God can't even fill it. See, one of the greatest lies that religion will try to propagate to you, that sometimes well-meaning people of faith will say to you, some of you got coffee mugs that say this, that all I need is, is me and Jesus. Listen to me. No, you don't. And you don't need to take it from me. And you don't need to take it from John Orberg. You need to take it from the mouth of God. God said, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, It is not good for the man or woman to be alone. God wired you and designed you with this need on the inside of you for community. And so, yes, there is a God-shaped hole on the inside of you, and I do not care how many friends you have. Guess what? All the friends in the world cannot fill the space on the inside of you that only God can fill. But God also created you with a relational void on the inside of you. And I do not care how spiritual you think you are. I do not care how many prayers you pray. God said that void, that hole, that need will be filled by others because it's not good that people I created and called good are left alone. So what I'm saying to you on today is very simply this, that God designed you, God designed me to need community and so we want to help you build community you know if you've been to our church for any minute or even just paid attention like, like one time you, you, you arrived early enough to catch the first five or you listen to the news, whether online or in person, wherever you, you will hear us make a statement about what we believe transformation in Christ looks like. Because that's the reason we exist, so that all people are transformed in Christ. And we believe that transformation actually happens, that the fuel of that happens when you know God personally. You fill that void on the inside of you that only God can fill. And when you ultimately start making a difference, but before you make a difference, you have to, and we say it every week, you have to find community. See, we're so adamant and so intentional on trying to help you find community because we know that God built you. He built me. He built your neighbors. He built your cousins. He built your friends. He built the people in your life that don't want nothing to do with God and the people who, who love God and love his church. He built all of us with this need for community. He created you this way. He created you to need community, so we want to help you find community. There's a problem, though. You may even agree with what I say. But community has to be prioritized on a level to ever be experienced. See, if community is never a real priority, real community is never a possibility. If community is never a real priority to you, Because, see, people love to celebrate how much money they've made. People love to celebrate how busy they are. People love to talk about, scream about, holler about how much work they're doing and all they got going on, and that's great, wonderful. All that stuff matters, and that's great. But at some point, you have to prioritize community. Otherwise, you will never experience the community that you were needing, that you were designed to have. See, you were built for community. But please understand, you still have to go build community. It's like, yes, God put this need on the inside of you. God put this void on the inside of you that needs community. Absolutely. But you and I still got to go out and we got to build the community that we need. Because um, even Jesus had to. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man which would mean that on some, rea- on some level, Jesus, because the scripture says he felt everything like we felt, uh, Jesus had this same relational need that you and I did. You know, it's been said that the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed was being a man in his 30s and having 12 real friends. It is kind of funny, kind of sad to say, but um, that's actually true for most. It's crazy how uh, when we're kids, we got all these friends, right? Or at least we feel like we do. And for most people, certainly people that don't bring intention to this, that don't bring effort to this, what you find is the older you get, the fewer friends you have. Why? Because we stop prioritizing community and we start prioritizing Career. Or we start prioritizing uh, the, the consumption of things that we enjoy. And we, we start prioritizing ourselves. We start prioritizing only what we want. And we don't value community. We don't prioritize community like we need and want to. I want to push back on the people that think the greatest miracle Jesus ever did was having 12 real friends in his 30s. Because, yes, he did have 12 real friends. But actually, if you read the scriptures, he had way more than 12 real friends. But it wasn't a, a miracle for Jesus. No. Community wasn't a miracle for Jesus. Community was a priority for Jesus. See, those 12 friends that we think of, his disciples... People who he said, come follow me, and they dropped what they were doing and followed him and be like, man, it must be nice. No, no, no. you got to understand where Jesus went to find these people. He did not go to the local seminary. He didn't go to the Pharisee training school. He, he didn't go to, to, the, to the place where people thought so much of that. He, he, he went to fishermen and to tax collectors. He, he, he went to people who had been rejected by society, and he became friend, watch me, to the friendless. And when he became friend to the friendless, he actually found friends for himself and they found friendship that they needed. See, those fishermen that were out by the sea fishing, they didn't want to be fishermen. They wanted a rabbi to call their name and say, come follow me. And they had been looked over, missed over, and they had gotten to the point in life where we got to put food on the table one way or another. So I guess it ain't going to be because a rabbi sees something in us. Let's go fish. But then this rabbi. Nazareth, comes by and says, hey, come follow me. And they drop what they're doing to follow him because they heard what they had wanted to hear all their life. Why? Because of a relational call. Somebody saw something in them. Somebody believed in them. Jesus got him some friends because he, uh, he was willing to be friends with the people that society had rejected. Jesus got him some friends because he was willing to show up when his friends had need. Many scholars believe that Jesus' best friends were not his disciples, that his best friends, just relationally, were not his inner three. His best friends were not, as John self purports on himself, the disciple that Jesus loved. No, no, no. no. That his best friends were actually uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And when Mary and Martha have a tragedy, in their household because Lazarus has died Jesus goes there why because that's what friends do real friends see you when you're hurting they don't run from you they see you and they show up for you and then in turn you end up showing up for them See, Jesus didn't have this miracle that was friendship. He he prioritized friendship. Jesus didn't throw people away when they disappointed him like we often do. We talk often about cancel culture in our society today. But the sad reality is, is we've been canceling people in person way before we started canceling them online. You say something I disagree with, you don't do something I like, I just cut you off, I ain't got to talk to you no more, I ain't got time for you no more. And we divorce ourselves and distance ourselves from people who maybe we need, maybe maybe we should lean into, who really love us, but maybe they messed up. We don't find Jesus throwing people away. We find Jesus offering forgiveness when his disciples, the rejects that he believed in, disowned him in his moment of great need. Jesus didn't say, well, when I resurrect, I'm about to find me some new disciples. He went back to the same people who ran out and hid on him. In fact, Jesus um, He was so committed and so concerned and so invested relationally that he was, um, he was the life of the party. Jesus' first miracle, some of you will know, was turning water into wine. But it was at a wedding feast, a wedding celebration. And you know weddings, you have to get invited to. You don't just be crashing weddings. Why would they invite Jesus except that Jesus had been friend to them? Why would Jesus have even been shown up? There were many times where Jesus was invited to parties. Jesus was invited to people's houses. Sometimes he went and sometimes he said, I can't right now. I got to go do some other stuff. But can I tell you, you don't be inviting them party pooper people. You know what I'm saying? You don't be inviting them people that always just be sitting in the corner talking about, I don't really like crowds. You don't invite them. You don't invite people who just come into your house and all they got to do is complain. You don't invite people that the only thing they know how to do when they talk to you is talk about how terrible their life is and how worn out they are and how blah 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 blah. No, no, no. There was life in Jesus, and that life got on other people, and so people said, "I want me some Jesus at my party," because this party about the community wasn't a miracle for Jesus; it was a priority for Jesus. My challenge for you on today, my challenge for me on today, my challenge for all of us in this season is that we would prioritize community. Why? Because you have to build community before you need community. Otherwise, you're going to want community and not have community because you didn't find community when you could. I'm going to say that again. Now is the time for you to build community. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes prioritization. It takes energy. But now is the time for you to build community because you got to build it before you need it. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a predicament, I bet, in this season of life where you are going to need community and you're going to look around and ain't got no friends. You're going to look around and got nobody in your court. You're going to look around and got nobody in that's an ally for you. Nobody that stands with you. Nobody that stands up for you. And you're going to cry. You're going to complain. You're going to post online. Ain't nobody love me if I could just get three friends to say yes and amen that you have read my Pope. And the reason you're going to find yourself like that is because you didn't build community before you need community. And then you find yourself in a place where you want community. And you don't have it because you didn't find it when you could. And so today I want to help you find community. More than just some people to watch a game with, more than just some people to go like eat a lunch with. I want to I help you see what community can do on the inside of you by taking a quick look at the early church and the power of community there. I want us to read the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And then today I want to give you four very simple um, reasons as to why you need community. What community actually looks like. What community actually does together. Because community is one of those words that sometimes in church circles we've said so much that we have augmented and um, changed what the meaning of it actually is. And I want to help you see it in its purest, truest, and most life-changing form today. Because you were built for community. Somebody in that chat right now, maybe you're listening to the podcast, just say this out loud. Say, I was built for community. Acts chapter 2, here's the way the early church records this. In Acts chapter 2, Peter has stood up and preached, and thousands have responded to his sermon. They got baptized, and this is what the next verse says it says, They, all these people who responded to his sermon, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And to the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number Those who were being saved. This is a snapshot of what was going on in that first church. And it's a snapshot of the community that was formed, fleshed out, that literally turned the world upside down. And I believe there are implications and realities that this community experienced and expressed that you and I need on today. So if you're taking notes today, whether on our website or you're taking notes, maybe you're just jotting some things down, would you please write these four simple things down that we're gonna go through together? Because you need a community. You need a community, because you were built for it. You need a community, because God created you in such a way where community is a need on the inside of you, and you need a community that, write this down, number one, that pursues God together. You need a community that will pursue God, pursue the things of God together. Because you weren't created to go after God by yourself. See, there's a communal aspect to seeking God that cannot be missed. But people today, more than ever, try to miss it. That's why the writer in Hebrews tells us to uh, not neglect meeting together, as some people get in the habit of doing, but to do that all the more. Because you need people around you who are pursuing God with you. You need people around you who are worshiping the same king. You need people around you who are studying the scriptures. You need people around you who are praying. You need people around you who are giving. You need people around you who are serving, who are doing these things together, who are pursuing God together. You know, anytime I encounter somebody who's trying to follow Jesus in isolation, they're trying to follow Jesus out of community, me personally, and I know that's anecdotal, but me personally, I have always encountered someone who is significantly deficient in some glaringly obvious spiritual reality. Find me the person that talks about, oh, it's just me and Jesus. I just love the Lord. I just be sitting around reading my little devotional book. I love Jesus calling. He just calls to me. I pick my own music and I listen to the songs I like and you know, I don't really need a church. Got me and Jesus. (laughs) Trying to um, pursue God by yourself is always selfish. You become the center of your worship experience. You said it was God, but no, it's actually your preferences. You said it was God, but no, it's not God, it's the God you've created in your own image. You set God there like he's some Uh, rock to be formed into what it is you want and you will worship the thing you are forming rather than God. You know how I know? Because people who often uh, try to pursue God on their own, it's amazing to me that there are massive implications and massive realities in scripture that they overlook altogether. They just won't even mess with. uh, Because when you are pursuing God on your own, you can skip over that stuff that offends you. You can skip over that stuff that, that challenges you too much. You can just avoid those passages of scripture that feel a little too difficult, feel a little too close to home, or don't really align with your personal preferences. You can't do that in community because sometimes we'll open the scripture and that scripture reading will bust you up. And that's good for you. Because you need some people in your life that are going to pursue God with you and they're going to love you through it. They're not going to throw you away because you've got trouble with it, but they're going to say, thus saith the word of the Lord. You need some people in your life who are going to challenge you, who are going to call out some of the nonsense on the inside of you. You need some people around you who are going to inspire you and help you to see, man, you know what? I don't really worship like I should. I don't really pray like I should. And they're going to push you forward. You need that. I need that. We need people around you so you can pursue God together. Otherwise, you'll never be challenged and you'll never be corrected and you'll never be encouraged like you need to because you need others. You notice in Acts chapter 2, how many times it says they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They went to pray together. They showed up at the temple. They did this stuff. It wasn't that they heard what Peter said, responded, got baptized, and said, I'm about to be up at the house reading my little scroll. They. You need a community that pursues God together. Because, um, friend, you, you got enough people in your life pulling you away from God. You need some people in your life that will push you towards God. We got enough influences, uh, enough messages. Enough advertisements, enough, enough uh, opportunities with work and school and whatever to pull us from God. You need some people in your life who will encourage you, who will strengthen you, who will kick you in the backside when you need it, like who will help you get pushed toward God. You need community. You need a community that pushes you toward God. But not only that, here's the second reality. You need a community that, um, that cares for each other. You need a community that really does care for each other. Part of the reason you and I need community that will never be full, never be fulfilled is because you need people in your life that will care for you and you need people that you can care for. There's an aspect of the early church in the book of Acts that some people trip over. And they trip over it because, um, well, the way Luke puts it in one spot is he says there was not a needy person among them. not because the church was only made up of wealthy individuals, that was far from the truth. but what we see in Acts chapter two and we'll see again in Acts chapter four and in Acts chapter five and later on in Acts chapter six and Acts chapter eight like, like what we see is this um, this willingness of people to take what they have and leverage it for the good of all people. I mean, they shared all they had. that's the way Acts two what we read said. They, 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 they would sell their possessions and, and bring the money to the church so that other people's needs could be met. Nobody had an unfulfilled need in that community because of the community. You understand that, right? This isn't the book of Exodus where God somehow just rains down manna from heaven as like, thank you, God, ain't nobody grow this, but I thank you for raining down the manna again. This wasn't it. God provided through the community. Hungry people were fed through the community. Unsheltered people got shelter through the community. Unemployed people became employed people through the community. Those who couldn't care for themselves were cared for through the community. It's a powerful picture when you see it. You know, we... As a church, get a lot of contacts about helping people. I would say a disproportionately large amount given the maybe general size and influence of our church. To say it another way, I have served at some very large churches that get a fraction of the kind of calls and emails and messages and drop ins that that, that we get. And I'm grateful for it. You know, that's part of what it means for us as a church to be here for good, is we step up and we step in. Like, if, 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 if there's a need and we can meet it, we're going to do everything we can to meet it. We, we ain't going to trip over policies and blah, 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 blah. Like, like if, if there's a need that we can meet, we will meet it. And if we can't, we won't. Because part of our being able to meet needs next month is taking care of things this month. You know what I'm saying? So, like, like we ain't unwise, but we also ain't trying to be stingy. But for years now, before we had a a physical location like this, we get calls, emails, messages, Facebook messages, people knock on the door. And to say that I have had thousands of conversations with people in need is not an overstatement, okay? It's probably more like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, but I know that sounds a little like ain't no way, so we'll just call it thousands. The interesting thing to me, and the thing that honestly breaks my heart, even still, is I'm not jaded and I'm not like um, callous to need because of the volume that we have experienced. But what still makes me sad is In excess of 90% of the calls and messages and stuff that we receive are people who have no formal connection to our church. Because if they call or send an email and I'm the one processing it, I'll, I'll open up our database, which has thousands of names thousands of phone numbers, thousands of email addresses of people that we've served throughout the entirety of our church. We don't be be deleting nobody from the database, okay? And just to see, do we know them? Where could we have known them? Did they come to an event? They come to Family Palooza. Were we able to serve their kids Christmas toys? Have they been to a grocery drive-thru? Like, how do we know them? And well over 90%, we have no record of. And the reason that breaks my heart is because what that is saying is that this is somebody that has no community, that is throwing out a Hail Mary. I didn't say they don't have a church. Maybe they do go to church. I don't know. Maybe they don't go to church. Maybe they're not a person of faith. They don't have a community. Not a community that cares for each other. And so they lob out this Hail Mary to a church that they've heard of that actually helps people to see if maybe they... Care for them. You know the story of the church should be the community cared for one another. Can I tell you? Many people believe that that was part of what the exponential growth of the early church was attributed to. That people would look around and be like, "Do you know her? She used to she used to not know where her next meal's coming from, and now she don't even be asking about food no more. What had happened? Well, I heard she got saved." So Jesus brings it. No, no, no. The community does because of Jesus. But the reality I need you to see today from the community, from this community, for our community, from what you even wrote down, cares for each other, is that caring is a two-way street. Come on, caring for each other is a two-way street. Because everybody needs cared for, And everybody needs to do some caring. In our country, benevolence, generosity, outreach, caring for other people has often been deduced to those who have means, taking some of their means and bequeathing it upon those who don't have means. That it is the wealthy giving to the poor. It is the middle class or upper middle class taking care of people who find themselves impoverished. Yes, those with resources can and should do more (laughs) to and for those who have less. But if we think the only people who have need are people who may have some physical need, people who may have some financial need, we are misrepresenting what need is. People need to be cared for, and people also need to care. One of the things I love so much about our church, if I could just brag on you all for a minute, is the fact that every single month when we host grocery drive-thrus, we serve hundreds of people, hundreds of families, thousands of people, fresh groceries for free that some of the people who will serve in our grocery drive-thrus, whether they serve one time or they serve many times, some serve regularly and do this, but they're serving people, they're directing traffic, they're filling out forms, they're loading up cars, they're organizing groceries. But some of them have a box of groceries set to the side for themselves. Not because they're greedy, but because maybe this month, financially, they need that too. To get by, they need that. But they see, because of you, that it's not those who have extra who do the serving. All of us can serve. Every year now, for the last three years, this will be our fourth year, we host an event called Christmas Palooza, where we will serve thousands of kids Christmas toys. And one of the things that warms my heart is we will see people, we've seen it every year, it'll happen this year, people who are going to serve people who are coming to get toys for their kids, who would not know and do not know how to provide toys for kids at Christmas without the generosity of this house. Um, There are people who are going to put on the volunteer t-shirt and serve, who the only way they're going to provide toys for their kids this Christmas Is through that very same means. Because serving is not something just reserved for those who have extra funds. Serving is not just something reserved for the affluent. Serving is not just something reserved for those. It is for all of us. And even those who seem to have more than enough on the financial side of things or on the resource side of things, they have needs too that need to be cared for. You know, sometimes people who have all the money in the world need somebody who will give them some time without asking for any of their money. Sometimes people who maybe they don't have financial needs because they're fortunate or blessed in that scene, but they have other needs. And what a community does is it cares for one another. It doesn't doesn't ostracize people. It doesn't push people away, but it cares. And it makes sure everybody's in If you got a need and I got a resource, I'll solve it. You need somebody to talk to, and I got some time, talk to me. You hungry, I got extra food, come eat. You need some place to stay, and I got extra room, come stay at the house. That's what community does. Because community cares for each other. You need a community that pursues God together. And you need a community that cares for each other. And you need a community, write this down, that enjoys spending time together. enjoys spending time together You see you ain't gonna be together as much as these folk were together without liking some of the folk you be with did you catch in those five or six verses that we read how much time they spent together it says they were daily at the temple every single, they went in church once a week or once a month every day they were seeing these folk And then it says also daily they were in each other's homes. Are we going to your house to eat tonight? All right, bet. I'm going to be there. They were spending time together. They were praying together, worshiping together, eating together, receiving communion together, serving together. Why? Because on some level, some of these people liked each other. People were finding friendships and relationships among one another. Now, I do not think you need to read that into, oh, it was so beautiful because everybody liked everybody. No, 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 the scripture don't give us that. And if you read the whole book of Acts, you'll find they actually had strong differences of opinion that would separate them. They probably wouldn't like to, they probably wouldn't be invited to one another's cookout, but I still can love you. But there were people among there who they did like. See, you need to know that you will not like spending time with everybody, but you should like spending time with somebody. You, you, you ain't going to like spending time with everybody. That's okay. But you should and you need to like spending time with, with, with somebody. Because if community's ever going to be and community's ever going to do what community needs to be and community needs to do, you need to like some of the people that you be in community with. Can I tell you the truth about me? There are people in my world that I really enjoy spending time with. Like it, it fuels me to see them. When they call, when they come by, when I see them at a spot, when we have a, a, a meeting or we get connected or we're in the same room, I enjoy. They are not a, a drudgery. They, they, they fill me with energy. They fill me with life. They fill me with joy. I enjoy Spending time with them. There are some people like that in my life that I just, I'm grateful to see because I enjoy spending time with them. There are also people that I love, but they make me tired, you know? I love them. But um, they they they, they, they find a, a direct access to like my last nerve very very quickly. I love them, but um, I have to have like limits and governors around the amount of time or the length of time or the scenarios where I could find myself with them because um because they seem to <sighs> the life out of me. Don't look at me with them critical eyes through your little screen. I know. Look. You got people in your life like that, too. You got people that you love to be around and people that suck the life out of you. Can I tell you? That's normal. And and it is okay to say, you know what? I'm gonna spend a little more time around these people because these people give me life. And this person, I'm gonna love them and I'm gonna care for them, I'm gonna be nice to them. But I just understand that, uh, like, like for whatever reason, like, we just don't really rock together and it's okay. And I can love you and I can worship with you and I can even find myself in the same space as you sometimes, but I don't have to turn everybody into my best friend. That's okay. But you do need to enjoy spending time together with some of the people in your community. Why? Because hear me, hear me, hear me. Write this down. If it's all work relationally, you won't value community. See, I think one of the reasons sometimes in church people have missed the significance of community is church has given off this vibe that you're supposed to love everybody, like and be everybody's best friend. Like you ain't going to be everybody's like some, some Some people are very prickly people, <laughs> like, you know, and like, like God loves them and their mama loves them. And, and, you know, and it takes a special part. Some people are just easier. Some people, you just have common interests. You got things that you can talk about because you're interested in the same things. You're reading in the same things. You you enjoy the same things, and that's great. But if all your relational work feels like work, you won't value the community because community will feel like a chore to you rather than being this life-giving thing that it's supposed to be. But hear me. If it's no work relationally, you won't have community. If there's no work on your part, relationally, you will not have community. If you're not willing to recognize some things about you and say, you know what? I'd be one friends, but uh, I ain't really all that friendly. You know, there's a Bible verse that tells you that you need to be friendly in order to have friends. Proverbs 18, go read it for yourself. He who would desire friends must first show himself friendly. Newsflash. Some of y'all is not friendly, but going around complaining how the church don't love me and the church don't care for me. Be friendly and you will find yourself some friends. You know what I'm saying? You will. You will. But it takes work. It takes work even with the people that you love and you connect with. I love my wife, but it takes work relationally. If we don't carve out time and say we're going to spend this time together or we're going to do this or we're going to sit over here on the couch and watch this movie together or we're going to go for this walk or we're going we gonna to go to this grocery store together. We could live in the same house, sleep in the same bed and like literally just be passing one another because she's busy. I'm busy. And even though like we love each other. If we don't work for community. We won't have community. See, the truth is most of community isn't structured. Community is not some events. I always thought it's funny that there was a, a time when churches would build a space and call it a fellowship hall. Like all of the fellowshipping had to happen in this one hall. When you walk in, the spirit of fellowship hit you. What? goofiest thing i ever heard in my life like community is not something community is not some group community is not something oh we got the community no, 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 community isn't a structured thing but most of it starts with a structured moment our services whether online or in person are not community okay now community could be sparked in a service You could sit next to somebody. You could chat with somebody. You could talk to somebody. You could see somebody because you came early. You could bump into somebody because you stay late. But can I tell you, if if you think community is going to happen because you showed up in a service, no, 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 no. It can spark something, but it's not community. And so service matters. Not because it is community, but because it can spark that community. That's why I believe serving matters. I tell people all the time, I think the best way to get connected, to find real friends in our church is to start serving. Because we, we are a serving church. We are a roll up our sleeves, blue collar, sweated out church. That's what we are. And so if you find a team that you serve on a Sunday's team, you find an outreach area that you start serving with consistently. You get involved in some capacity ministry throughout the week, whatever's going on. Can I tell you, you will find community out of that. And it's smart because you were serving with somebody who was interested like you are. You're interested in music together. So you start helping to play music and lead worship and singing some stuff because you're musical. And then the next thing you know, some of your best friends in life came from that group. Because you gave yourself to serve it. The, the, the music wasn't the community, but it sparks the community. Or you say, man, I just love kids, so I'm going to go serve with the kids. And you'll find that it won't be serving the preschoolers or serving the kindergartners or serving the fourth graders that all of a sudden creates community for you. No, 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 no. But it'll spark within you other people who have that same passion, and boom, that moment will spark the community. It's why classes matter. In September, I'm going to be teaching a class on, our, on beliefs and trying to help you understand what, what it is to believe God and what we believe about the scripture and how to wrestle with what it is you believe about issues in our world today and, and so much more. I'm, I'm very excited about it. I'd love for you to sign up and join us uh, and be a part of this. But what's beautiful about class is not that class becomes a community. No, it's class but you will be in a class and whether it's that class or like we'll do later on in the fall, our home buying class or our money class, like you will be in a class with people who have a similar interest to you and that could spark community if you'll let it. That's why today we're launching groups and uh, groups are gonna be a fantastic way for people to get together, but the group is not community. It's just people getting together that may spark community. Cause what you need is a community that pursues God together. You need people in your life that'll push you towards God. You need a community that cares for each other, that people you can care for and people who will care for you. You need a community that enjoys spending time together. And lastly, you, you need a community that welcomes in new people, that welcomes in new people. Can I tell you something, the community's never closed. Cause there's always room for another seat the table. See, that's the thing about the Jesus community. Because it's not about us, it's never just us. Come on, because it's not about us, it's never just us. There's always room for one more. There's always a seat at the table. And anytime people call it community, but it's closed off to anyone new, God ain't in that. that's why as a church, we are always going to make more room. Like I shared last week in part two, last Sunday, if you're joining us at church online, here in a few weeks on September the 10th, Sunday, September the 10th, we're making more room in our in-person services. At a, We'll have two worship experiences every single Sunday morning. Why? Because we need to make more room in our Sunday services. We need to create more seats for people to come in. We need more room in our B-Kids rooms. And so we are going to double the amount of services, create more room for people to come. We're gonna make more room. Not only that, many of our teams are, are doing great. And so we're doubling the number of teams that we have because we'll have two groups hosting, two groups serving in B Kids. There'll, there'll be more need for production, more need for worship, more need for... Uh, and can I tell you, it's an opportunity for people to serve. It's an opportunity to create more room for people to jump in. Maybe you felt like teams were full. Maybe you felt like, I don't know if they got room for me to use my gift. Maybe we make it room for you, because that's what community, you need a community that welcomes new people. In fact, next week I have lots of news to share, things that we're working on, things that we're praying for, things that we're dreaming for this fall. I pray you come back, I pray you lean in, I pray you will join us as we jump into part four of Built For. But today we are launching something new to help new people connect in. Today we are launching our fall season of groups. Groups are simply small groups of people from our church, offered by our church, that exist for one reason, to bring people together. That's it. Your group is not community, but community could be formed out of a group. Why? Because groups are simply just reasons for people to get together. Some of them are just relational. People play games or eat together, uh, do activities together. Some of them are, are more conversational. Some of them are more Bible study. That's great, it's, it's all whatever. The whole reason is for people to come together. Because when people come together, you may find the community you need before you need it. And so groups are a way for you to build community. And today we're launching groups. There are groups that will meet online. There are groups that will meet in person. There are groups that will meet uh, once a month. There are groups that will be much more than that. I want you today to draw a line in the sand and recognize, I need community. Because God built me to need community. And I want to challenge you today, right now, maybe even, you would click on that link and find a group to join right now today. Because what do we say? You got to build community before you need community. Otherwise, you're going to want community, not have community, because you didn't find community when you could. And the truth is, I don't mean to be prophetic and I don't mean to be Debbie Downer, but please hear me. There's a good chance in this season you're gonna need community. There's a good chance in this season you're gonna find yourself in a predicament where you need somebody who will pray with you. You may find yourself unexpectedly uh, needing needing uh, a resource you haven't ever needed in your life. You, you, you may find yourself in need of guidance, in need of help. You may find yourself just with somebody who will sit With you. I don't know. You may have the greatest decision you've ever had to make be presented to you. And it feel like too much for you. And you need community. You need people who will be around you. I bet in this season who will cry with you. Because something's going to happen that's going to break your heart. Uh, You you may need people around you who will rejoice with you. Because it's very anticlimactic to have happen what you've always hoped to happen. And have nobody celebrate what happened to you with. See, there's a good chance you're going to need community in this season. But will you build it now? Or will you find yourself later on this season complaining to God, maybe complaining to a church, maybe complaining to it, complaining to your friends? Man, I ain't that got no community. Build community before you need community. Otherwise, you're going to want it and not have it you didn't find it when you could. So today, my charge for you as I close: join a group, get connected to some people, put yourself out there, try to try to find some new folk to connect. Maybe you're new to our church. Jump in. This is a great way to just meet people. The whole point of groups is to bring people together. Maybe you go to a group and find somebody, and they be your new little buddy. (laughs) Like, how great is that? Maybe you find the best friend you've ever had in life because you just recognized how God built you. So Today, take that step. Today, go find your people. Today, join a group.